Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And as you turn there, I will remind you that we are continuing on the third of a four-part series on biblical parenting. And it's contained on our podcast. Martinsdale has an actual podcast. And we, on our website, you can go back and listen to parts one and part two. But after doing a week of introduction and an overview, last week we looked at the parent's fundamental responsibility. And what we learned was that the number one, the primary task that God has given to both the mother and the father, but spearheaded by the father, is the instruction, the discipline of the children, and the fear and admonition of the Lord and all of his commands that that is the single most important task and responsibility for parents, above and beyond getting into a good school, above and beyond excelling in athletics or other activities, above and beyond being socially well-developed, that the children will be grown in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And this is done through a constant practice of instruction and discussion and modeling as you rise, as you sit, as you walk along the way. Well, this week... We're focusing on the children's fundamental commandment. Many churches from time to time will have a children's service. And frequently it'll involve the children being part of the worship team or a message for that's what we're doing this morning. This is a children's church service. All of you, all of you children in the worship center, eyes up here. God has a word for you. I think it's a wonderful thing. In the book of Ephesians, as the church gathers together, and I want you to picture this in the first instance, the, the, the body of Christ in Ephesus gathering together. We have a letter from Paul. And they gather together for the reading. And as chapter 6 begins, amazingly, the apostle, speaking for the living God, directly addresses the children. He doesn't say, now parents, when you get your kids out of nursery, tell them. The children are directly addressed. God has a word for children. He has a command for children. And this morning, we will study what that is and why that matters and and how that factors in to parenting. Let's begin by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Oh, there it is. One other time in the New Testament in the epistles, the children are directly addressed in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, with nearly identical words, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. And, and there it is in its simplicity and its difficulty God's commandment, fundamental commandment for children. And we're going to look at this in four points. And the reason why we're going to stop and look at this, the reason why I thought this is an important thing for us to wrap our heads around is, again, as we introduced this series, we talked about how there's so much confusion in the world. And, and, and nowadays, we are incredibly suspicious of authority. Incredibly suspicious, and for many good reasons. We've seen the abuses of authority in our culture celebrate self-assertion, standing up. I'm not going to take it. You can't tell me what to do. Don't tread on me. And yet here, God's fundamental commandment for children is to obey, to honor. Let's try to see the goodness of this, the beauty of this, the importance of this as we study God's Word. Let's dive in looking first at the commandment's prescription. 
the commandments prescription. What is it that God is calling children to do? What's right there in in verse 1? Children, obey your parents for the Lord's sake. Obey your parents for the Lord's sake. Now, the reason in the notes why I've put for the Lord's sake is that's what I think he means by in the Lord. Some people might think that means you're only required to obey Christian parents. Obey your parents if they're in the Lord. But when we look at the the uh, parallel commandment in Colossians, it becomes clear that what is really rather meant is obey your parents for the Lord's sake. Do this obedience as an act of obedience in the Lord. Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So children, obey your parents for the Lord's sake. Now there it is. And he'll go on by quoting the, the fifth commandment in Exodus 20 to, to give some other insight. But let's just stop and think about that. What is the fundamental thing, the only instruction that I'm aware of in the New Testament given directly to children is a call to obedience to their parents. Obedience. Well, what does that mean, obedience? In our household, we use a phrase, and we've got it there in the home. It means right away. It means all the way. And it means with a happy heart. Delayed obedience It's not obedience. Partial obedience is not obedience. And grumbling, unhappy, I'm standing up on the inside, obedience is not obedience. See, that's the parents are laughing right there. They know what I'm talking about. And, And this is what God requires of children. And this is what parents need to require of their children. And this is important because the temptation for us is to lower the standard, isn't it? To set the bar at something they can do. And I'll never forget reading um, Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which we've got copies of in the bookstore and in the library. And he pointed out that really the parent's job is kind of as a shepherd and a steward is to train the children to understand who God is and what he requires. And one of the ways we do that is as a shepherd, we identify where the good path is and we identify where the dangerous woods are. That makes sense? And so here God has given an unerring, unalterable word to children. His command, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Now think of what great harm we do when the child takes six, seven times to be told what to do, but last time it took him 12. And so we say, good job, well done. Now biblically we know what's just happened. That's not obedience. Biblically we know they just started walking out into the woods, into the darkness. What harm do we do as parents when we say, you're on the path, well done. Once that clicked in my head, I realized, oh dear, I don't have the authority to change what God requires. God calls for obedience right away, all the way, with a happy heart. You think of, you think of the story of Israel's first king, Saul, and God gave him a command to go destroy and devote to destruction the Amalekites. And percentage-wise, how much did Saul obey? Percentage-wise, he killed nearly all of the animals. He just kept the best animals. And he killed all the people except for their king, Agag. I mean, I'd say he's in the 90th percentile for obedience, right? Saul mostly obeyed the Lord. He did 90% of what God required him. And Samuel confronts him. He says, why have you rejected the word of the Lord? Behold, the sin of rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Because intentionally only obeying 90% equals 100% disobedience, doesn't it? Now, we can encourage our children when they take less cajoling to obey than they did last time. You can say that that wasn't good, that wasn't right, but that was better than last time. But this is what God requires, and as his representatives, this is what we need to pass on and require. 
Because, of course, every time a child fails to obey, every time you get to bring in restoration and the gospel and address sin in everything, kids, everything. Unless your parents are calling you to sin and do something that you think is morally wrong, you're to obey. That would include things like the clothes you wear, the company you keep, the way you speak, the time you go to bed, the time you get up, the chores you do. It's obedience that God is calling for. And this prepares you, in a sense, for the, the obedience due to other authority figures in life. We, no one comes out from under having to obey. We, we have to obey to the government. We have to obey to the governors and the police officers. There's authority structures in the church. In everything. This is God's command. He then goes on to quote. He says, this is right. So here's the commandment. He says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then to, to prove its rightness, he links it with the Mosaic law. He links it back to show the unchanging continuity between what was said by Moses coming down from Sinai, written on tablets of stone, and what Paul is saying here. So if you turn to Exodus chapter 20, we'll take a look at the fifth commandment. And notice how Paul treats this as one commandment. The second blank here is to honor your parents for the Lord's sake. But Paul treats honor and obey as the same thing. You might think, well, there's two commandments. No, there's one commandment. The command is to obey. The commandment is to honor. And I think when we understand these, we'll understand they're really flip sides of the same coin. Moses comes down from the mountain with tablets of stone written on by the very finger of God. And as you may remember, the first Four commandments all deal vertically with who God is. I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make a graven image. Verse 7, blasphemy, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath. And so people talk about the first and second table of the law, the first four commandments dealing vertically with our relationship to who God is, and the final six commandments dealing horizontally, horizontally with our neighbor paralleling the loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And there in verse 12, the very first, the second table of the law, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. What does it mean to honor? I've thrown together a brief definition from some lexicons. It means to treat with reverence, respect, and high regard. And I think as you think through that, you can understand how if you were to treat someone with reverence, if you were to treat them with respect, to hold them in high regard, then what they say, you will do. Because after all, they're wiser than me. And and I revere them. So honor and obey. This speaks more to the attitude of heart. Like I said before, we can obey on the outside, but not on the inside. We can obey with our actions, but inwardly despise our authorities. Inwardly grumble and complain. And what God is calling for in this commandment to children is not simply to do what you're told, to obey your parents, but, but to cultivate, to have within you a heart that esteems highly your parents. Now, I know this can be challenging to give honor to parents because frequently parents are dishonorable, aren't they? They sin. They make mistakes. We, we do. As I commented last week, no one gets to see my sin and my weaknesses like my wife and my kids. No one. So my children are well aware, well aware of my sinfulness, well aware of the fact that at times I am dishonorable. How do you honor someone who is at times dishonorable? Well, this is why it's in the Lord. 
It's, it's not a statement that all parents are worthy of honor. There's, they're not. I'm not. Rather, God, to whom all fealty, all loyalty, and all honor is due, has said, for my sake, in me, honor your parents. And that's how we, we try to honor authorities in this life. How do you honor the governor, the president, the king? When frequently those people are corrupt, you honor them in the Lord. You attempt to give them the reverence that is due them. Romans 13, speaking of this principle, says, pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so children, God's word for you, God's commandment for you is to obey your parents and inwardly to respect them, to revere them, to hold them in high regard. That's the commandment. It's direct, it's straightforward, it's unmistakable. Like most of the hard things in the Bible, it's unambiguous. Just difficult. And it's largely fallen out of favor with our culture. We hear these things and immediately we start to cringe and think of, of abuse. And we think of totalitarianism and we think of all those things. This is a good commandment. God's commandments are not burdensome. This is meant to give a blessing. In fact, as we, as we move on to the commandment's priority, point two, we've seen the commandment's prescription, the commandment's priority. Paul highlights that back in Ephesians 6. Notice that. He quotes Exodus 20, honor your father and mother. Then he adds this commentary. This is the first commandment with a promise. Have you ever stopped to think about that? How many of the Ten Commandments contain promises? One. Out of all of the Ten Commandments, God attaches a promise to this one commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? That it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Does that sound like a burden? Does that sound like God is a killjoy? God wants it to go well with children. Children, God's desire is blessing. That you would prosper in grace. You would have an abundant life. And knowing that this is the path to that, he, he gives this commandment, not because he's a killjoy, because he wants to bless you. And in the Ten Commandments, out of all of the horizontal commandments, notice the priority of its placement. It's the very first commandment in the second table. The very first commandment dealing with our interaction with our neighbor, with our brothers and sisters. And it's also the exclusive commandment given to children. This is it. God does not have a long list of things that children need to do. It's a short list. As we see, it's an important list in a, in a few moments. It's prominent place in the Ten Commandments. I want you to notice also it's prominence in the New Testament. This commandment of the Ten Commandments is picked up frequently in the Gospels as Jesus is reciting the commandments. I'll just give you one example. In Mark 7.10, Jesus said, Moses said, honor your father and mother. Or speaking to the rich young ruler, you know the commandments, honor your father and mother. But not only that, it takes, it takes priority and prominence in the epistles of Paul. We've seen in Ephesians and in Colossians. I mean, again, think about that. In a culture, we separate everyone off and segment everyone off in the different groups, in the different locations. Paul speaks to children in the worship service. Paul assumes they're going to be present. Just as it was when Moses read the law in Deuteronomy 31, when Joshua read the law in Joshua 8.35, when Nehemiah read the law in 8.2, the men, the women, the children, and all who could understand were present. God has a word for children. Children can be servants of God. Children can honor God. 
They've got God speaking directly to them. What's another reason for the priority? It prepares children to honor God. It prepares children to honor God. Again, we, we talked in the first week, what, what's the significance of this series for people without kids? Well, there's a lot of significance, and I, you can go back and check that out, but one of the reasons is this, that God has used these categories, himself as father and us as his children, to describe our relationship to him. And so we need to then biblically inform what those relationships involve or we're going to import all sorts of wrong things into our understanding of God. I, I think it's not for nothing that our culture laughs at, smirks at, puts on sitcoms. We think it's funny. Children being smart, smart alecky, children disobeying. The parents are always the buffoons, especially the father. The smartest person in the home is always the dog. You know, you, you watch sitcom TV, and that's what you get. And you import that understanding of children to parents. It is not surprising that we take the holiness of God lightly. We take disobedience Oh, it's okay, he'll forgive me. We're just importing what we know about parents and children. If we understand what's the fundamental defining relationship and commandment of children to parents, the children honor and obey their parents. Then God comes along and says, I'll be a father to you. You see how that affects your understanding of the gospel, of who God is? And God does this repeatedly in Isaiah chapter 1, the opening verses of Isaiah Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Or in Malachi. And the assumption in these next two passages is that the obedience to parents is the preparatory step to the harder thing, obedience to God. Or to put it another way, if you cannot and will not learn to honor and obey your parents, then you will not honor and obey God, which is far more challenging. Listen to Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? Now notice what he's doing. He's assuming the first relationship. Of course children honor and obey their parents. And of course servants honor and obey their masters. And if that's the case, then where's my honor as a father, he says. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Or in Hebrews chapter 12, or an extended analogy of parenting is made between God the Father as our Father and our earthly parents. Listen to this. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And listen. Besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of our spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. We all had earthly fathers, the author of Hebrews says, and we respected them. Shall we not more, there's the movement from the lesser to the greater, honor and submit to the Father of our spirits? If you can't even do the first one, and it's like we all had earthly fathers and we respect them. I didn't. Well, that, that analogy is not going to work. I, I've said before that the parents are sort of the, the God proxy representatives. This, this is your first look at an authority. This is your first look at a father and a mother picture. And if the kids can't do that, they're going to struggle with a heavenly father even more. So conversely, if you can learn, if you can learn to order yourself, to esteem, to submit yourself to a fallible, sinful, human parent, 
Well, now you're in good standing in a good place to submit yourself to the perfect, loving Father. So it's got a great priority. Third, I want to look at his promise. It's promise. And again, that's the point that the Apostle Paul highlights. If the commandment itself sounds hard, challenging, unpleasant, it comes with great promises for good and for ill. First, it's right there in the passage, blessing and life. Blessing and life. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and he quotes the promise that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Promise of blessing and life. Proverbs pick this up. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The father pleading with his son, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, you can just put paraphrase, honor me, obey me, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. But it starts with the father saying, son, listen to me. The, the father's trying to fulfill his command from last week. He's trying to teach the child. He's saying, child, be attentive. Child, listen. Take these things to heart. If the child will honor that father and listen, the promises come out of understanding the fear of the Lord, walking uprightly with the Lord acting like a shield to those who walk in integrity. Or chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Does that sound burdensome? Does that sound unpleasant? No, it's got a tremendous promise of blessing. One stark example, if you turn to Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35. I want to just show you the example of the Rechabites. The Rechabites. Jeremiah was announcing a a ministry of judgment. And for most of the book, it's, it's down. Aside from brief glimpses of future blessing, almost all the message for the here and now is you're going to lose, you're going to fall, Nebuchadnezzar's going to win, don't fight back, surrender. Except chapter 35 and a few other spots. And here, the Lord singles out some people actually for blessing. There's a group of Israelites, the Rechabites. And first, the Lord calls on Jeremiah to test them. And he calls them together and he offers them cups of wine and says, here, drink. And in verse 6, they answer, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard. But you shall live in tents all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. You see, their, their ancestor knew about the Babylonian captivity coming and commanded them. Not, not, to, not to set down roots, not to plant vineyards, not to drink wine. As a guard, I think, against commingling with the culture, we know from how few Jews returned from the Babylonian captivity just how many of them had integrated into the culture, had laid down roots, had built homes, and were loathsome to leave them. And here's what God says if you jump down to verse 16. 
He's got all this calamity to announce to everyone else. But Jeremiah gets this one word to give of encouragement. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall never lack a man to stand before me. God is pleased and God rewards those who would honor their parents, even when you're honoring your, your great-grandparents. It's good. There's a blessing. It's pleasing to God's heart. And so God gives this commandment because He wants to give a blessing. He gives this commandment because He wants us to walk in light and life and security. There's also another side to the promise. There's a promise of threat. And here your blanks are cursing and death, just as the promise for obedience is blessing in life, the promise for disobedience is cursing and death. If you go back to Exodus 20, turn over one more chapter to Exodus 21. Exodus 21. Now, this is probably the thing that most surprised me as I studied this topic last week. I, I knew of one or two of these passages we're going to look at, but I did not know of how many there were. Chapter 20, the commandment to honor mother and father is given. Chapter 21, verse 15 says this, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Verse 17, Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Let me pause. We are not the nation of Israel. We are not living in a theocracy. We are not under the law, and I am by no means suggesting that anyone fulfill this literally. I just want to highlight the severity. I just want you to stop for a moment and think how important this is. And if you were an Israelite living under the law, with what seriousness would you take this commandment? With what zeal would you move everything out of the way that was hindering it? If you understood, my, my child... If they do not learn this, we'll die. Let's, let's keep going. There's more passages. Leviticus 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother. His blood is upon him. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Proverbs 20, 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now, now turn to Deuteronomy 21. Turn to Deuteronomy 21. It's probably the most full treatment of this principle. The law is not commanding that on the first offense, the first time a child rebels, curses his mother or father, that they necessarily are killed. Here, Deuteronomy 21, verses 18, gives a clearer picture of what we're looking at. Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. So notice, time has taken place. This is not a one strike, you're out. Rather, there's a season of time where the parents are training, the parents are disciplining. We'll, we'll focus on that next week, the child. But the child comes out of that clearly intent on rebelling. Clearly, I, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to do what I'm told. They're not being bent and molded. They are stiffening their neck. 
Though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate, the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our son, is a stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men in the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all of Israel will hear and fear. So if you factor in, we're dealing with someone old enough to have appetites for alcohol. And yet, I'm remembering, they're marrying there in their mid to late teens. And what's ironic is this. In our culture, the time period where we assume it's a given, of course the teenagers are going to rebel, is precisely the time period in Israel where it's put up or shut up. Have you learned this or not? It's life and it's death. I mean, isn't that amazing? That the very place in life where we just, it's a given. Of course, the kids are going to rebel in their teens. Is the time where the final exam comes in. There's patience, there's leniency, there's, there's leewardness as you're growing. Perhaps this child will learn. Yes, they're being stubborn. Yes, they're being rebellious, but it's not too late. That's where the Proverbs come in. Discipline your son while there is hope. Why would you set your heart on putting him to death? It has this in view. Precisely the time when we assume they're going to rebel is precisely the time they must have learned this. Or, or there will be no more learning. No more learning. You can just imagine. I mean, imagine you've got a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old who's, who's still rebellious and you're trying to faithfully discipline and instruct them. With what alarm, with what alarm, with what priority would you push out everything else aside? The academics would take a pause. The, the extracurricular activities would take a pause. The sports would take a pause because if your child, if your son, if your daughter does not learn this, the community will stone them to death. Do you get the priority of this? Do you get the importance of this? Yes, we are not under the law of Moses. Yes, this is not how we should respond to a rebellious child. Do you think the law of Christ has a higher or lower standard? Do you think what Christ demands of us is more or less? Well, maybe you think this is just barbaric. This is just old-fashioned, unlightened, cruel. That's the mean God of the Old Testament. I don't believe that, but some people try to get around these types of passages. Listen to Jesus quote this. He's speaking to Pharisees. Matthew 15, 4-6, speaking to the Pharisees. God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. There's Jesus right on his own lips. But you say, if someone sells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. This is a commandment Jesus is well aware of, and he'll quote. Moreover, when Jesus returns to rule on planet Earth, I strongly suspect that this exact law or something very much like it will be the law of the earth. Remember, Jesus will come and rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will dash them like a potter's vessel. I very much think the death penalty at some point in the future will be reinstituted for cases like these. There's tremendous promise for blessing and for cursing, but our culture, we, the problem is we've so accepted the cultural notion that the kids will rebel that when we accommodate the way we do things. My father-in-law, Pastor Sam Farlow, in his very first pastorate as a youth pastor, 
ran into this problem. He was preparing the youth to go on a trip to the lake to go swimming. And knowing that that can be a problem for modesty issues and such, because it was a mixed group, he put together a list of, of guidelines and rules for how the kids should dress. And when they got in the van to go, everyone was dressed appropriately. But when they got to the lake house, one of the kids, I think it was a girl, I think it was the girl whose house it was, ran inside, changed, and came out with something completely breaking all of the rules. Well, he came up to her and he said, hey, you know the rules. And he gave her a t-shirt to wear over her bikini. Well, she didn't like that. She told her dad, who was an elder, he didn't like that. And next thing you know, my father-in-law was called before the elders of the church. And what they told him was something that I have heard, maybe not this clearly, but implicitly in many places, in homes, in churches. And it goes like this. They said, Sam, that's his name, Sam Farlow, Sam The kids are going to rebel. The kids are going to stray when they're teens. And if we hold them to standards and if we demand of them that they keep them, we're going to drive them away. And we would much rather have them here, albeit somewhat rebellious, than out at parties, drinking, carousing, because we're just hopeful that in their early 20s they'll come back around. So we just want you to, to lower the standards and just keep them here to keep them safe so they aren't out there at the parties where they can get into drugs and alcohol and sex. There's an appearance of wisdom to that, isn't there? I mean, it goes against what God's Word says, but there's an appearance of wisdom. You don't want to drive them away. You don't want to be legalistic. Well, he would have none of that. He said, no, these are the rules. They asked him to resign, and to his credit, he refused. He said, no, I've done nothing wrong. If you want to fire me, fire me. That's what they did. My father-in-law was fired shortly after entering into his first post. Now, since then, he's gone on to pastor and plant a number of churches. God has blessed his ministry. But 30, 40 years ago, this was the prevalent attitude. I assure you, it's only grown in the church and in homes. And so parents do things to avoid this issue. They don't issue commands. They give choices. Do you want to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Do you want to eat the oatmeal or do you want to eat the Cheerios? Notice how there's no instruction or command given. Everything's a choice. Not that choices are bad, but I I know parents who've told me flat out, we do that to sidestep and avoid the critical issue of will the child obey? If you're doing that, you're just delaying the inevitable and you're losing valuable time. You're losing valuable time. This, This commandment brings a great promise, but you need to factor both in. If your child will not, cannot learn to honor and treat respectfully to his parents, first off, as we've already seen, they're going to have a much harder time learning to honor and submit to God. Moreover, they're going to enter into life as a fool, stubborn, rebellious, stiff-necked. And that same attitude will be how they apply to police, the governing authorities. That same attitude to don't tell me what to do, I'm going to do what I want, will curse and ultimately damn them through life and beyond. This is life or death. This is critical. This is absolutely critical. The promises are too great to ignore. Finally, let's take a look at the pattern, the commandments patterns. We got the the commandments prescription, the commandments priority, the commandments promise, and now the commandments pattern. See, God has left children with a pattern. This isn't just words, but he's put in their life, places they could look to, to see this carried out. And parents, this is where this, up to this point, you might like this message. You know, okay, Pastor Jeremy, tell my kids to obey me. Tell my kids to honor me. Okay, parents, understand the first example they have is you. 
The first example they have of, Daddy, what does honoring look like? Well, you show them by the way you talk about the president, the governors, your boss. You show them by, by the way you interact with the leadership in the church. Mommy, what does obedience look like? You show them by the way you, you submit and honor your husband. You're their first model of what authority looks like, what submission looks like. Do they, do they learn from you that this is a blessing, that this is a good thing, that this is something for our health and our help? Or do they learn from you that obedience is terrible and to be avoided and we always grumble and we always begrudge it even when we have to do it? I've got to pay my taxes. What do we learn? Son, God has gifted us with rulers to reward good behavior and to punish evil. They're his ministers. To resist them is to resist the living God. And we are to render to Caesar what is Caesar and to pay taxes to them. This is the way that we worship God and submit to him. Oh, the example of their parents. The example of their parents. Second, because often that example will be flawed. I, I, I recognize that. And by the way, when, when your example is flawed, another way you can model submission to authority to your kids is by repenting and letting them be aware of it. When you make a mistake, when you grumble, when you stiffen your neck, and your children see it, can, can I plead with you to let them also see your repentance? Let them see that daddy and mommy are also people under authority, that daddy and mommy are also living life under the authority of Christ, under the authority of the government, under the authority of the church, and that, yes, it's hard and we stumble. And there's forgiveness when we confess and repent. I, I had to do this with my, my youngest son just a few weeks ago. I had to call him out and, and ask his forgiveness because I'd sinned. And he'd seen it. And I wanted him to know Rather than, I guess, when you're on top and you're in charge, you get to do what you want. No, no, no. Daddy's under authority, too. Daddy's a sinner, too. Daddy needs Jesus' forgiveness, too. Will you forgive me, please? Do you model that, or do you think that'd be showing weakness to your kids? Okay, the example of parents. The Lord's given us another example. If you want to know what it looks like to submit and to honor your parents, and that is the example of their Lord. The example of their Lord. First, Jesus honored his father. Jesus honored his father. I mean, is there any more obedient child? Is there any more honoring son than the Lord Jesus Christ, who said in John 8, 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. Whereas Jesus prays in the garden in John 17, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And stop and think, what, what work was it that the Father gave the Son to do? Leave your privilege. Leave your worship and adoration. Leave heaven. Enter into pain and suffering and dealing with sinful people. Humble yourself. And then die. And the son obeyed perfectly. Because I know you're tempted to think, well, it's, it's okay because he's Jesus' father. He's sinless. And it's easier. Yes, the father is sinless, but the father's mission for the son was incredibly arduous. We're told, likewise, to have this mind in yourself that is yours in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Made himself nothing 
being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. And why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? According to Hebrews, he endured the shame of the cross for the joy, for the blessing that was set before him. Because, we know, God has given him the name that is above every name because of this. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have the model, children, not only of your parents, as, as imperfect and frail as that is, but the model of our Lord's is perfect submission to his Father. We also have the model of Jesus' submission and obedience. He obeyed his earthly parents. And we studied this, didn't we, in Luke, back in chapter 2. And Jesus is in the temple, sitting at the feet of the rabbis, sitting at the feet of the teachers, soaking it up, asking questions, giving answers. And his parents didn't understand, did they? Jesus had to actually correct his mother gently, respectfully. He said, I've been about my father's business. And then we read this statement in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 to 52. He went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. You see, children, God is not calling you to do anything he has not done. The God of this universe in human form submitted the fallible, sinful, mistaken at times parents. Jesus went home and though he was God of God, he submitted and became obedient to his parents. Even when they were wrong. Even when they didn't understand. It also means if you're struggling with obedience, if you, if you, if you like me, have a hard time with this, because even though I'm out of my mother and father's home and I'm married, the command to honor your parents endures Paul appeals to that as, as we care for our aged parents. He, Jesus appealed to that when he rebuked the Pharisees. We're all called to honor our parents at all times. If you struggle with that, you have a sympathetic Savior and Lord who knows what it's like, who's perfectly honored and obeyed his heavenly Father and perfectly honored and obeyed his earthly parents. We have a priest who understands. We have a priest who can give us help in a time of need, but this is, this is critical. And we, we don't do ourselves any favors when we join in the world's thinking, when we too smile, and of course the kids rebel, and we chuckle at the kids' rebellion, and we sort of you know, smile and tell stories. We need to treat this issue of the life and death importance that it is, even though in this life it won't result in a death penalty. The consequences eternally, the blessings temporally remain the same. We need to set our mark. You know, last week, Deuteronomy called on the parents to teach to the children all the Lord's commands. This is the fundamental command we are to teach. And again, when I see youth conferences advertised, Sunday school curriculum advertised, I don't see this generally as the central and primary topic of discussion. Do you? We'll teach the kids how to be missionaries. We'll teach the kids how to do all sorts of things. It's not because we're assuming they're doing this. It's not as though we got check, we can move on to other things. Rather, we're afraid if they hear this, if we insist on this, if we teach this, they will turn away. And we just delay the inevitable, and then they go off and blow up in college. Because we never really called on them to do anything in the home. We never really pushed the issue. We never drew a line and said, no, no, we won't tolerate that here. And so we have the current 
state of atrophy and attrition in the church. My prayer is that the Lord God would give us the faith, the grace, to set our targets to the biblical model, to call our children to what God calls them to, and then to recognize there's no way on earth they're going to be able to do this without grace. There's no way on earth they're going to be able to do this without the Lord's help. But when we call them to this, obedience right away, all the way, with a happy heart, and they fail, we can point them back to Christ. We can point them back to the gospel. We can point them back to the cross. Or we can make God's requirements something they can keep in their flesh. This is vitally important. This is God's word for kids. This is God's word for us. Parents, this is what we need to train them in. And next week, we'll look at how the tools God has given us. I want to take a moment and pray as we prepare to transition to communion. Lord God, this is a hard word, challenging word, a simple word. It goes against so much of what we know, so much of what our culture thinks it knows. And Lord, I confess my, my sight to the target at times falters and drifts. There are times where I am unwilling to call my children to this. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. I just pray that you give me the grace to not alter your commands, to not soften your demands, but to represent your word to my children. I pray that you give us the grace to do that as well, to not accept rebellion, to not live with it and tolerate it. Lord God, it is our desire that our kids would come to know you. They would come to honor and obey their heavenly Father. Lord God, help us to be faithful stewards faithful servants, with your children, whom you have gifted us. In Jesus' name, amen.